Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do. If not, you've got your phone so you can turn it on and, and uh, find a copy of your King James Bible there on, the, uh, on your phone. But John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6. And, and this morning I want to talk about <clears throat> what is the reason for your season. What is the reason um, for your season? And I, I know that as a Christian, and I, I'm going to try to teach Sunday school, so I, I, I pastor a church. In fact, uh, uh, I, I don't know how this happened, but about July of last year, a church in our community that used to run five and 600 was down to about 80. It's about 15 minutes away in a different town called Pleasure Ridge Park, and we're in Valley Station. And uh, they were without a pastor. They were struggling. And, uh, and somehow now, uh, they called me and they asked me if I could help them, and so I began to preach there, and then uh, recently I became their senior pastor, so I'm pastoring two different churches about 15 minutes apart. You say, how does that happen? I don't know. You say, how do you do it? I'm still not sure, but I preach it. Uh, I, I, we, we have a 9 o'clock service at Grace Point, a 10 o'clock service at Grace Point, and then I drive over there and preach at Beachland at 11, and I walk in about halfway through the song service, and I'm still dripping sweat from the last sermon, and I get up and preach again. And, uh, and so, but if there's anything I can tell you by attempting this task ahead of me, uh, I can tell you this, that sometimes there's seasons in life that are not our favorite seasons. And if you, if you would agree with that, say amen this morning. And so I'm going to try to teach and not preach, but if I get preachy, it's not because I'm trying to get preachy, but it's because I, I, I'm emphasizing something that I think uh, will be a help to you. We find a story in John chapter number six where Jesus comes to his disciples out on the sea. And uh, I think this is a very familiar story. And what I love about this miracle is it exemplifies how God is not limited by our problems. Just because our problems are great, it does not limit God. But sometimes when we get in a season that we're struggling with, we have to understand that God has a reason to put us in that season. And so I, normally I would have you stand, but we're just in community Sunday school, so just stay seated and follow along with me, if you would, in John 6, verse number 17. And entered into a ship uh, <clears throat> and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. So this is Jesus. It's in his disciples. Jesus was not come to them. Now, now, now watch this. He was not come to them. He wasn't yet come to them. He was on the way, but he wasn't there yet. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind and blew. And so when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, so that's 25 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he saith unto them three little big words. First of all, he says, it is I. And then he repeats three little big words and he says, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw there was none other boat there save the one wherein his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples in the boat but that his disciples were gone away alone. And then we see where the scripture there, uh, the author or the translators put in there, how be it there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. And then now watch this. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping. So they also got on some boats and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. 
And I pray that you would give us something that, Lord, would just encourage us. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that's in that season, or they will soon be in that season, Lord, I pray that, God, they would look for the reason that you've allowed them to be there. And, Lord, if you're not going to calm the storm, I'm thankful that you calm the disciples. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that peace that does pass all understanding in the life of a Christian and a disciple of yours. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, we see there that the season that the disciples find themselves in is a dark season. It's a dreary season. It's a depressing season. It's a discouraging season. A couple times the terminology is used that it's dark and that it is evening and the shadows have gone long and they're now facing something that is uncontrollable. It is out of their hand. It is over their head and it is simply unable to be controlled. But I'm glad that God is not limited to handle just the big stuff or the small stuff, but God handles all of our stuff. No matter what it is, God can handle it. And so we see there that the disciples, they're like, Lord, we can't control the weather. We can't control the wind. We can't control the waves. We, this, this, it's starting to get over our head and it's getting out of our hands. And God says, I've still got the thing under control. And so Jesus shows up in his timing and I can tell you that being a pastor and being a Christian for several years, maybe not as long as some of you, I can tell you that God's timing is usually not my timing because I want everything right now. Can I have an amen to that? Man, I like God to just fix my stuff right when I need it fixed. But sometimes the Lord says, I'm going to leave you languishing there so you will learn to trust me. I'm going to leave you maybe laying there on your back so that you learn to trust me. But I can tell you his timing is always perfect because God doesn't make mistakes. And so then the Lord comes walking out upon the sea and he, 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 he just shows up. And I mean, he shows how he's awesome, how he's available, how he's alive, how he's able, how he's amazing, how he's our friend, he's our father. He, he, he's the, the ultimate weatherman because he doesn't only tell you what's going to happen, but he can change what we think is going to happen. And so when I look at this story, I see three pieces of the story that I think that we could all see together that will help us. First of all, I see the disciples in this story and that's us. I see the divine in the story and that's him. And then I see a destination in the story and that's it. And if, if the disciple will get in touch with the divine, then we will reach our final destination. And I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's going to be awesome when we get there. One of these days when we get to heaven, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more battles, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more sickness. I'll never forget, I was telling my boys and explaining heaven to them and my youngest son, Mason, I said, I said Mason, there'll be no doctors when we get to heaven. And, and he said, you mean doctors don't get to go to heaven, Daddy? And I thought about the last doctor bill that I got and I said, well, probably not, son, but if they do make it, they ain't going to be practicing medicine. Can I have an amen right there if you've been to the doctor lately? And, and we're headed there one day, and this is not Canaan because Canaan, there were still battles to fight. I'm talking about not the victorious Christian life. Our destination is a glorified body when, and glorification with God in heaven and spending eternity with him. And so let's just look at the steps here and the people here and the players here in this story and how it can apply to our hearts. First of all, I see the disciples. This is the picture of you and I. I see the first thing that they faced was the darkness. 
It was a season of darkness, overwhelming darkness in their life. But I'm glad that the McCamies used to sing that the God of the day is still God in the night. And if you're in a night season right now, it's okay because the Bible says that weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And there's a morning coming where God, some glorious daybreak, is going to break open the sky and we will truly be set free. But if you're in the darkness and if you're in a dark season, the disciples also face that. But I'm glad that God has been able to work in the night. Jacob had the latter dream at night. The blood was placed on the doorpost and the, the angel passed over the homes there in Israel and the firstborn were saved alive at night. Uh, Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place at Bethel at night. Uh, it was night when God told Moses there is a place by me. It was in night in Babylon where Daniel had to spend the night in the lion's den and, and spend that time there. The fiery furnace, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast in at, at night. Uh, the angels appeared upon the, the, the Bethlehem hillside and said, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given at night. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and the noonday sun was darkened and turned into night as he yelled to tell us time. It is finished and claimed victory. It was night when they sealed him in the tomb. It was dark when Mary showed up and she thought she was talking to the gardener and I guess she was because he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. And he said, hey, don't be afraid. Touch me not. I've not yet ascended unto my father. I'm trying to teach, but I'm getting preachy. I'll slow back down. It was at night. And I'm glad when we're in a dark season and we're facing darkness that God is not limited or hindered by the darkness, but he's there even when we can't see him. As the songwriter said, standing somewhere in the shadows, we can find Jesus. But then there was a distance that was traveled. Now here's what had just happened. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fishes and he fed the 5,000 men, probably 25 or 30,000 people on the hillside. And, and, and so we, we, we know that then he came down off the hillside. He said, we're going to go to Capernaum. And he put his disciples in the boat. And they headed out across the Sea of Galilee. And I've been there on the hillside. And I've been there on the sea. And then Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Remember the story? He goes up on the mountain to pray. And, and he's keeping watch over his disciples. You say, but what, what, why did you talk about the distance? Because it said they'd gone 25 or 30 furlongs, furlongs. That's four to four and a half miles. It is eight miles from where they launched from to Capernaum. They were halfway. They were right in the middle. You say, what's the, what's the significance to halfway? They weren't there yet and they had a long way to go, but they had gone too far to turn around and go back. Y'all ever been halfway? I mean, I mean, you're stuck in the middle. Like you ain't there yet, but glory to God, you've gone too far to go back. You're just right there in no man's land. Half time. I know you guys live in Georgia, and I, I'm sorry if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. I'll pray for you. I believe your Bulldogs could probably beat your professional team. And, uh, and so... I mean, but your Bulldogs, I mean, you guys have the best team money can buy, and so I just appreciate that. But, um, but now stay with me. Preacher's not in here, so don't get mad at me. I, I'd be ribbing him, but, you know, he gets really testy about that Bulldog stuff. But um, 
I, I remember a few years ago, it looked like there was a Super Bowl about to be won. And at halftime, it looked good. And then I don't know what happened to Tom Brady. I don't know if he got saved or what happened. But when he came out that second half, y'all know what I'm talking about. See, I, I've been at halftime in my life a few times where it looked good, and I've been there a few times when it looked bad. But I can tell you, if you're only halfway there, it ain't over yet. I mean, the church has survived apostasy. We've survived COVID. We've survived an election. God help. A bunch of elections, and if y'all would quit electing the senators that y'all are electing down here in Georgia, I would appreciate it. I don't know if I can say that in church or not, but I say it back home at my churches. And uh, help me out, for goodness sakes. And, uh, but, but now, now hear my point here. Hear what I'm saying. We've survived $4 a gallon gas. We're going to make it. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. This is my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, we could sing the old song, I'm on the win inside, it's halftime, but we're going to make it. But then I see not only the distance they traveled, I see the danger that they faced. The Bible says there arose a great wind. And in the sister passage in Matthew chapter number 14, it says that the boat was beginning to fill with water. And I can tell you it's okay when the boat's in the water, but it's bad when the water starts getting in the boat. But thank God that we have a peace speaker and a peacemaker and we have a wave walker that's headed our way. So the circumstances begin to get out of their control. And it probably started with a little wind and a little waves. But then all of a sudden they realized they couldn't row past it. And they couldn't get out of it. And it was unwanted and it was unexpected and it was uncontrollable. But thank God it wasn't unseen by Jesus. And your problem may be unwanted and it may be uncontrollable and it may be undesirable, but it's not unseen by the Savior. God can move the mountain that you can't move. God can calm the storm that you can't calm. God can cross the river that you can't get over. God can win the battle that is defeating you because when it's over your head, it's still under his feet. It may be bigger than you, but the good news is it ain't about you. It's about him. See, as disciples, sometimes we lose our focus and we start thinking that it has something to do with us, but it's supposed to have everything to do with him. Then I see the fourth thing. I see the despair that they are facing. It says, they were afraid. And in the, the, the synoptic of the Gospels over in Mark chapter number 4, the other sister passage, it says, they were sore afraid. I'm talking about terror. I, I, I'm talking about extreme fear. I'm talking about a panic attack. You say, well, Mark, what, what, what are you talking about, extreme fear? I remember my wife uh, got sick, and uh, she couldn't get up out of bed, and she uh, had a bad headache, and we were about 30 years old. It was about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, so I took her to the doctor, and the doctor didn't know what was going on, so he sent us to the ER. We went to a little hospital, and 
took her in. The doctor said, well, she's used drugs or she's done this or she's done that. I said, no, she hasn't. She got to where she was incoherent, couldn't even talk. I said, you got to do something. We, we sat in the hospital for six hours. So finally I said, I can't take it anymore. So I picked my wife up and carried her out. They said, you can't leave the hospital. I said, you watch me. I carried her to a bigger hospital. Went to the next biggest town down the road and went inside and said, here's what's going on. We sat there and again, they said she's used drugs or she's done this or she's done that. And said she hasn't done any of those things. She hasn't attempted suicide. She's, she just, she's, she's had bad headaches and she was incoherent. She couldn't even talk. And I began to pray and my dad years and years ago had meningitis. And God just told me, he said, Kim's got meningitis. I'm a 30-year-old preacher and I look at the doctor and I said, my wife's got meningitis. He said, how do you know that? I said, because God told me. He goes, oh, you're one of them. And I said, man, can you, just, can you just do a spinal tap and make sure it's not me? He goes, it's not meningitis. And we sat there for six or eight hours. And so finally I, <clears throat> I walked in and, or he walked in and I got up and shut the door. You know, those glass sliding doors in the ER. And, and I shut the door and I said, now doc, I said, I, I just know she's got meningitis. All I'm asking you to do is the spinal tap. He goes, you don't have insurance. You know what that's gonna cost? I said, well, I, I can tell you this. It's gonna cost you a whole lot more if she dies of meningitis. He said, what are you saying? Are you threatening me? I said, no, I'm making you a promise. You'll never be safe walking to your car again as long as you live. If my wife has meningitis and I move her to the next hospital, I said, once she's safe, I'm coming back after you. He said, I don't like that. I said, I don't like you. I said, my wife's not gonna sit here and die. You say, well, that wasn't very Christian. Well, y'all just shut your mouth. And so um, I witnessed to him later. At that point, I didn't want him saved. But um, so he went in and drew a spinal tap and the fluid's supposed to be completely clear and it came back looking like milk, white. And uh, he said, we're gonna try to save your wife's life. And I'm talking about, I started shaking and I loved God. I was preaching five, six days a, a, a week. I was in evangelism. I was surrendered. My, I mean, we, we didn't have it. I mean, we, we, you know, we were those people that were so blessed God in love with Jesus. I mean, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't, I didn't smoke, you know, dip or chew or kiss a woman that do, you know. I mean, we were there. And I was praying and pleading and fasting. And all of a sudden, I, I, I mean, I was terrified. I remember I fell on that floor and that, I see your room beside my wife's bed and I wept and I said, God, I cannot. I cannot make it without her. I'm begging you. He said, I'm not scared of nothing. You're, you're, one phone call and you'll be scared. You got fourth, stage four cancer. Your little kids in ICU about to die. You're one phone call away from the greatest despair of your life. You say, Mark, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the despair that they felt was unbelievable. That's where the disciples were. That's us. And can I tell you, quite frankly, that's us sometimes. But Jesus didn't scold them for being in despair. And guess what? When we begin to despair at times, God, I'm glad he doesn't come and scold us. But he shows up and he saves us. So I see to the disciples, and then secondly, I see the divine. That's him. <laughs> Don't get into enamored with us because we can't fix nothing, but he can fix everything. 
God can do more in a moment than you can do in your whole lifetime. Why are we turning to him after we've exhausted our own resources when our own resources are always going to fall short? I see two things that the divine's doing. First of all, he's walking. There's dark winds. There's waves. And it says, and they see Jesus. For a while, all they could see is their failures and the storm and the problems and the hurt and the pain. But now they see Jesus. Now they see the answer. And he was not walking in the sea. He was not walking through the sea. But he was walking on the sea. In other words, the thing that was going to destroy them, he was on top of it. He was in control of it. He was over it. And can I tell you, he was not wandering aimlessly around in the sea, but he had a purpose, and that was to come to his children when they needed him. He had a purpose. Jesus is bigger than anything you got in your life. He's bigger. I see him walking, but then number two, I see him drawing. Now, now here's the cool thing about this. I, I had never seen this before until I was preparing for this lesson did you know that the word where it says he's drawing near is the same word in John 6, when it says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him? Same word. That drawing of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, that wooing, that compelling, that moving, this is the same Greek word. You say, well, what's so significant about that? All throughout the scripture, we don't believe that you can get to Jesus unless he draws you, he invites you, he compels you. Remember the day you got saved, you couldn't stay in that seat anymore. You couldn't stay silent anymore. You had to ask, you had to get help, you had to get on the phone, you had to get on an altar. You were being drawn to Jesus. But look, at this is stinking awesome. Even if I'm from Kentucky and I accidentally found it by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost, you say, where'd you get this from? I got it from God because I ain't heard anybody else ever talk about this. But now Jesus is drawn and compelled to them. <clears throat> I don't have any grandkids yet. My first one is about to be born this spring. And, uh, but my associate pastor, Luke, is one of my best friends in the world. And uh, <clears throat> he's got three little kids, and his kids are like my grandkids. I mean, if him and his wife go out of town, his kids stay with us. and I mean, they're just our... You know, we, we love them and they love us. And uh, they're a little four-year-old girl. She loves camping. And uh, like I took her camping and we've camped out and all this kind of stuff. Like I just, I, I love them. And the other day, <clears throat> Annie got hurt. She came running to me with her hands up. Just a boo-hooing. I said, Annie, what's wrong? And she goes, Mark. She calls me Mark. You say, well, why don't she call you Brother Mark or Pastor Mark or whatever because she can call me anything she wants to because I love her. <laughs> and her mom and dad are always like, call him Pastor Mark, call him Brother Mark, call him Pastor Bishop, call him. And, and I'm like, just stop it. She goes, Mark, I need you. And she came running across that auditorium and it's about time to start church and she had fallen and gotten hurt and she had those big crocodile tears running down her face. You say, what'd you do? I told Luke, I said, start the service, do whatever you want. I'll be in here when I'm done with Annie because she needs me right now. I'm glad that God has drawn me to him, but once I know him, 
when I get hurt, he gets drawn back to me. Whew. When I come and put my hands up, say, God, I'm done. I can't. Lord, I need you. He gets drawn to me. He comes to me. He gets in the middle of my problem and he starts to figure it out. He starts to help me through it and I begin to kiss her little cheek and those tears were running down her face and I could taste the salt on my lips and I thought, this is just like God when I come to him and I pull my arms out and I'm like, Lord, I need you. He was drawn right to me. The disciples put their hands up and said, Lord, I need you. (laughs) Then I see some words that were spoken Can I tell you, he speaks to us today and he uses these words and it's so interesting how we like to see things happen. If I'm having financial trouble, I want the Lord to just go poof and put the money in my account. If y'all's with me, say amen. That's the way I like it to happen. I like Jesus to step out and go, peace be still and stop the storm immediately. I'm tired of the waves. I'm tired of the wind. I mean, maybe y'all were hearing the tornadoes last night and all that kind of stuff that was going on and wind and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I know a preacher had trees blown down at his house and I was in a motel on the second floor and knew I was going to die. Can I have an amen right there down here in Tornado Alley? And I was like, man, I don't know whether to just go home or hide or what to do. And, um, and so, but, but here, here's what I can tell you. Now, 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 now stay with with me I like God to calm the storm but he didn't calm the storm he calmed his kids man we like the waves to stop not to just say hey the waves are going to keep coming but I got it see sometimes he calms the storm but sometimes he calms us he's the eye of the storm and I know it's e-y-e I know that but he's the eye he's the middle He's the calm. He's the control. I, 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 I mean, he's the center of everything. And then I almost laugh when it says, and they willingly brought Jesus into the boat. Duh. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you know that, that, that when the translators put that down that, and, 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 and by inspiration that was written that, that probably, pro- probably, Old John went, (laughs) of course they did. Of course they did. They had tried all night. They were halfway. They couldn't get there and they couldn't get back. They had one chance. And it was him. Do you realize that he's our chance? He's our way, he's our truth, he's our life. See, I I, I can tell you, if you'll give Jesus back the wheel of your life, put him back in control of the boat, it's amazing how things start to straighten up. But then I see the destination. If it wasn't in my Bible, I I don't know that, I mean, it, it just says immediately, immediately, they were on the shore. So I went to Pensacola Christian College for <clears throat> four years. I went to Liberty University and got a master's degree for two years. I went to, <laughs> go flames. Um, I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and got a master's of divinity for three years. And then I went back and got a doctorate of ministry for two more years. 
I know you can't tell it by the way I talk, but I've got some paper that actually says I'm kind of educated. So I'm going to tell you what immediately means in the Greek. It means... Immediately. I mean, they were there. You say, well, that wasn't very deep. I know, I'm not very deep. So... Can I tell you the world has never been so wicked? Man's heart has never been so dark. But when I look at everything going on, you know what I'm waiting on? This. <laughs> I'm waiting on the snap. I'm waiting on the snap. Just like that, our fear will be gone. Just like that, our trouble will be over. Just like that, our heart will be restored. Just like that, our fear, our worry will be gone. Our heartache, we will be, boom, snap. We're right there. The Bible puts it this way, that in the moment and in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be out of here. Let, let, me, let me give you just a couple things about the destination and I'm done. First of all, <clears throat> it was reached. Everyone made it. Can I tell you that Jesus has never lost one of his kids yet? If you're a child of God, you are going to make it. The church has a destination and it will be reached. And can I just say the church's destination is not the tribulation. Can I have an amen right there? God's not appointed us under wrath. We ain't headed to the tribulation. We ain't headed to the great white throne judgment except to be witnesses. We're not going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. We ain't headed there to be judged, so to be cast into the lake of fire. We're, we're headed to a wedding. I mean, we're, we're headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I remember the excitement that I felt waiting for my wedding. Grew up in a Christian home, and by God's grace, I'd kept myself pure and never messed around with anybody. My wife had done the same thing. We met at Pensacola Christian College. We were engaged for about a year. We dated for about two and a half years. And my wedding day was getting closer and closer and closer. And I remember reading in my Bible one morning, I was a 21-year-old young man about to marry the love of my life. We've been married 25 years now. And I remember reading that there's a crown for those who love his appearing. And I said, Lord, if you come for my honeymoon, I ain't going to love it. I said, I'm begging you, there's more people that need to be saved. For God's sake, give me just five more days and then you can come back and I'll shout her all the way out. I could not wait. And this was back before we have all this stuff that, that young couples do now. I just paid for a wedding for my daughter and I'll be financing that for the next 20 years. And instead of wanting to get married in a gorgeous church house, they want to get married in some stupid barn venue. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God help my son, he's funny. My, my oldest son, he, uh, he's probably a couple years away from a wedding. He said, Daddy, he said, here's the deal. He said, I want to get married in the church house, and the only people I need there is me and Sarah and you. He said, if anybody else wants to come, that's good. But he said, I ain't spending all that money. And I said, son, I love you so much, and I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Let's go down the gun store, and I'll buy you something, buddy. <clears throat> We didn't have all these stupid first looks and two wedding dresses and they get the first look in a one wedding dress and they got to put on another one when they walk down the aisle. They didn't do all that stupid stuff back then. Glory to God. You just came in and got hitched. But I remember I didn't get to see her the whole day of my wedding and I never saw her till she came down the aisle and 
I remember standing there at the front and when those back doors opened and my wife Kim started coming in, I remember my heart just, I mean, I don't know what it's doing, but I, I mean, it was awesome. And I remember how excited I was. Can I tell you that my heart does that same thing when I think about one of these days, we're headed out of here. I love how that old songwriter used to, uh, that wrote the words and we used to sing it, just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new life and finding it eternal. I mean, one of these days, we're headed to heaven. They all made it. It was reached. But then I gotta hurry up and finish. It was realized. One of these days when we get there, we're gonna look back and realize it wasn't as hard as we thought it was. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. One of these days we'll realize it wasn't as hard as we thought it was. James says it was just a vapor. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that painful because we went with Jesus. It was over our head. It was out of our hands. But it was under his feet. If you look at the storm, it may appear too big. If you look at the mountain, it may appear too high. But if you look at Jesus, it'll be over. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you this last little thing that I saw. And I, I have never, um, I, I had never uh, seen this before in this passage of Scripture. So, <clears throat> Matthew 14, the parallel passage, we find the breaking of the bread. So the bread is broken. Jesus, remember, breaks the bread, feeds the 5,000. We've already mentioned it. Then he sends his disciples down and they get on the sea and they start to head over the, 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 the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes up into a high place to pray and he's, he's overlooking them and he's watching them. While the disciples are down there doing their best, he is up making sure that they're all right. Can I tell you, your ship cannot sink as long as Jesus is watching. He's got it. Now get this, I, I just got plum excited about this. But when they got to the darkest place in the midnight hour, halfway out, couldn't go forward, couldn't go back, he left his place. And he went to their place and he helped them finish their race. Now look it. I, 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 just stay with me. One day on Calvary, the bread of life was broken for you and for me. His body was broken. In fact, we say, take the, the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. One day on a hillside, the bread was broken. And we, God's children, were put out on the sea of life in the old ship of Zion, the church. And we're making our way across the sea of life. And Jesus left that hillside and he went to a high place seated at the right hand of the Father and he's watching over us. I can tell y'all aren't excited about this but at Grace Point they nearly spoke in tongues right here. It got so good. Almost. And he's looking down watching over you and me. And when we get to that point where we can't go on we can't go any further He'll leave, our, he'll leave his place and he'll come to our place. And he'll put his arm around us and he'll help us finish the race.
When we can't get to him, he comes to us. There's always a reason for your season. And if you're in a dark one, he'll get you through it. If you're in a great place right now, can I, can I tell you how it works with me? And I, I'm done. Can I tell you how it usually works with me? It seems like my best moments and my worst moments are happening simultaneously. Y'all ever been there? Like in one area of your life, you're having the greatest victory ever. And in the other area of your life, you just want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. Can I tell you, God always has a reason for your season. But even if you can't see anything but the wind and the waves, if you'll ever get a hold of seeing Jesus, it will change your perspective. And one of these days, we're going to make it to the other side just like that. I'm not waiting on problems. I'm not waiting on difficulties. I'm waiting on the snap. With the trump, with the voice of the archangel, he's going to step out. There's going to be a shout. Snap, we're out of here. I told my son, kids nowadays use different terminology than we used to. In fact, I've learned that some of the things that I used to say, I can't say them anymore because it means something different now. But I preached this sermon and a couple of weeks ago at Grace Point, my son comes up to me and goes, Dad, you ought to call that sermon, Oh, Snap. That's like a cool thing for teens to say now. Can I tell you? Oh, Snap. One of these days, it's over. There's a reason for the season. Just keep rowing. He's headed your way. He's not going to leave you. You're going to make it. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that, Lord, you would take the simple words that's been given this morning. You would bless the hearts of the good people here at Calvary. Lord, I thank you for the souls that were saved last night, and I'm thankful for the lives that were changed, the decisions that were made. But, God, I pray during this Sunday school time that, Lord, you've, you've, you've touched some hearts. Lord, maybe we feel like the race has been getting long or we begin putting our eyes on the storm. Lord, may we just put our eyes back on you. You're going to get us through. Help us to trust you. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said.